Um, you may want to write this down if you got if you got a place for notes. Uh, truth conveys reality, and this is what we're after. Truth conveys reality, and so um, we we our desire is to have a proper lens through which we are looking at the scriptures. For many of us, and then it's a, I think this is a segue right into David. For many of us, I know for me, for many, many years, um, we lo- we're looking into this book we call the Bible. We're looking into it through usually 2,000 years of uh, church history. And part of the major problem is that we're not getting back to the Jewish narrative of what God always, the way he designed in terms of his story. And so one of the, one of the major things we want to do is just get back to origins and begin there. And if we get back to origins, then we can have the, the proper foundation upon which to build. That's it. So truth conveys reality, and we're just going to go after some things here tonight. I hope that, I'll just say this, there'll be some new things that may be for some, and then there'll be some redundant things for others. But I know that every time I go back through these teachings myself, it just emboldens me in the truth. So truth conveys, or truth carries reality. And I wonder how often, if we're not in truth, there could be delusion has entered in, and we're not in reality. You know, so we want to see rightly. This is what we're after. We want to see rightly, and we're just asking for the Holy Spirit to help us. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, God, in the knowledge of yourself as we open up the book tonight. Amen. David. Yes, I just wanted to do a couple introduction things and then pitch it over to David's going to take most of tonight. But um, but kind of along the lines of what David was just saying is, um, you know, when we when we read the Bible the overwhelming majority of it is a story of one nation's God who is demonstrating himself to that nation through history and through events. And, and it's like, it, it really, when you kind of step back and look at it, you're like, it, it's so strange because it's, it's like a national, a, a nation and their God. And this is the story of it. And, and a lot of times, uh, when we approach the Bible, it, we approach it with a, a, a more, I know I, I have, in, in a very Gentile narrative of what the actual unfold, unfolding story is, is and it, it's a story about us. It's, it's our story. And we put ourselves in the center point of what's going on. And so, like, for instance, in the notes, if you look here, like, this is just a, an oversimplification, but a lot of times Gentile narratives end up taking the weight of their story from Genesis 1 through 3. It informs, you know, where, how we got here, where we came from, what went wrong. And then it fast forwards to, through the Hebrew Bible, to basically redemption at the coming of Jesus. And then we spend the majority of instruction and time in the New Testament 
And what the Hebrew Bible ends up being is it, it ends up being a kind of a prefiguring or it ends up being moral lessons that we, we apply in these stories. We have all of these applications of, of moral lessons throughout the stories, but all of those moral lessons don't connect to a historical narrative. They don't connect to the history of what's going on in the story and how this story connects to this and how this connects to that. And so uh, when we read the, the Hebrew Bible, um, we have to understand it from this Jewish narrative. And that's what our approach in this class is, is Genesis 1 through 11 kind of sets up this Jewish narrative and us as Gentiles have to really come to terms with this narrative because it's overwhelmingly about the God of Israel and his nation. And then we look at it and we say, okay, how do we relate to that? And so we're kind of starting in Genesis 1 gives us kind of the backstory of what's going on with this God of Israel and his, his story and his narrative. And so, um, so I just want to hit a couple things, just like introduction things for for the Hebrew Bible and Genesis, and then we're going to get into Genesis 1 with David here. But um, So the Bible is not a book, it's a library. It's, a, it's not a single book, but it's many different books with many different genres and many different uh, authors under the inspiration of God. And so we have to understand it that not every book, you, you don't read obviously Psalms in the way that you read Kings or Chronicles or whatever. It's, uh, so we have to understand what we're reading and what we're looking at to, to see the unfolding big picture of the narrative. And so we'll use the, the term, I just want to define a couple of terms here. Uh, Tanakh, you may hear us say Tanakh. And Tanakh is uh, it, it's a Hebrew acronym. So... This guy will probably have some acronyms for you <laughs> through the class, but Tanakh is, is a Hebrew acronym, which is just the Torah, which it means instruction, teaching, the Nevi'im, which is the prophets, and the Ketuvim, which is the writings. And so when we say, when we reference Tanakh, we're, we're talking about Old Testament, okay? The Old Testament is a Christian term, because it's kind of like Old Testament is the old and then there's a new. And there's, there's some issues with that, but you can't turn that boat around. So we're going to use Old Testament uh, just interchangeably. It's okay. Or Hebrew Bible or Tanakh. It all, it all references the same thing. Okay? And the book of Genesis is uh, Bereshit, which is, literally just means in beginning. Uh, and so uh, most books in uh, these books here are titled from a beginning word in their like when they start and so it actually this is the first word in the in the book of Genesis Um, and so let's look at this the scope of Genesis in the Torah or another word here we use, uh, you may see this if, if any of the resources that we put out, 
Also, there's the word Pentateuch. You guys have probably heard this. Um, Pentateuch just means the five scrolls, which is the five books of Moses. Um, it's the, the Torah or the five books. But Genesis, the scope of Genesis, it spans 2,000 years, roughly. And then the remaining four books of the books of Moses span roughly 120 years. So, I mean, it's so crazy to think about the span of that and how much time Genesis covers. Uh, It covers a lot of ground. But in Genesis, if we look, the the time span versus the allotment of chapters in Genesis, um, Genesis 1 through 11 covers almost 2,000 years in just 11 chapters. Uh, And Genesis 12 through 50 covers... 300 some, 360, somewhere in that number. Obviously, all the dating is is pretty just rough, so we're not being hard and fast. I I took these from a a scholar who has some level of confidence in the genealogies he put together. But but what's interesting is that this this huge span of time, it, it fast forwards really fast, and then there's 300 some years of the remaining portion of Genesis, but what happens is Genesis 1 through 11 only covers less than 20% of the book of Genesis, which is crazy. 2,000 years covered in less than 20% of the book. And this, this less than 20% of the book is the world context. It's the cosmic, the global context. It's, it's like the Gentile context of Genesis. And that thing is fast-forwarded so fast to get to Abraham, to get to the covenant, to get to what the God of Israel is going to do with this nation. And so we have to realize like these, these chapters, they're so compact and brief, but they're crucial to understanding the the structure of what's going on with the covenant and that's really the focus of what unfolds from that point on genesis 12 so uh the focus of the book narrows from cosmic with creation humanity first generations in genesis 1 through 9 focuses down to nations in genesis 10 and then to one family in Genesis eleven twenty six through basically the end of the book. And so uh, Genesis 1 through 11, it puts the story of the patriarchs of Israel into their cosmic context. It's like if you, the, the majority of the Bible has the feel of Genesis 12 through the rest of the book. And when you get to Genesis 12, it's like, okay, who's the God? that calls Abraham. Why does it matter? Because there's, there's all these other nations have their, their deities and stuff, so what's the difference? Well, Genesis 1-11 through 11 gives the backstory that the, the God who calls Abraham is the God who made everything. The God who calls Abraham is the God who has a plan in the choice of Abraham to 
bring about redemption for what has happened. Okay, so um, I know we're familiar with all these things, but we're just kind of setting the, the stage for jumping into Genesis. So, um, Just really quick, the structure of Genesis as a book, I don't know if you guys have seen this before, um, and sometimes in English it's not as clear um, throughout, is that there are actually 10 or 11, whether, depending on if you count, there's two references in, in one section, there's 10 or 11 sections in the book of Genesis that they're literary markers that separate a new section. And the, in Hebrew, it's the toldot. It says, Ele toldot, is these are the generations or the histories of, uh, and it says the history of the heavens and the earth, histories of Adam, history of Noah, Noah's sons, Shem, Terah, Ishmael, and, and going on. And so it, these are really helpful to understand kind of the breakdown of what, what is happening in these, these big sections of Genesis. And you guys can, can look at these on the, on the chart. But um, so there's either 10 or 11. Um, if you'll see in Genesis 36, there's in verse 1 and verse 9 that's listed in both there so it could be uh, counted for either one but some some scholars have pointed out that actually the 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 first word in Genesis in Genesis 1 1 is actually kind of serves as the first marker and so the first marker is Genesis 1 1 through 2 3 and at the end of 2 3 there's this after God blesses the seventh day, sanctifies it, then in verse 4 it says, this is the account of the heavens and earth when they were created in the day the Lord God made the earth and heaven. And so 2.4 starts a new section. It begins a new section that, uh, that follows. So, and this structure even carries forth all the way through Genesis, and then Exodus opens up with similar language. And so the, the reason why this is important is that this, this shows that uh, the authors understood these things as, as history, as real, the unfolding of Israel's history, okay? They're not historians in the same sense as we think of historians, like in the same categories and all the things that we would see as important to do history work. They don't do, the ancients didn't keep history the way we keep history, but they saw it as real and they saw it as, as going back and, and giving real accounts of the God of Israel and, and how he reveals himself in history and he, they saw that as real going back all the way to Genesis 1. Okay? So that's why it's important to see even those structures in these early chapters where there's like genealogies and all of these like the primeval like beginnings of everything. And so uh, I would just encourage you to take, take those things and look at them on your own some. As you read Genesis, you'll kind of see some of those chunks as, as you read on your own. So... I'll pitch it over to David and let him jump into Genesis 1. Wow. So let's get to the book of Genesis. 
one of the Genesis one, one of uh, one of the things you're going to see a lot here tonight because I, I I know that I have to stay on task because we we, we will be done at eight. Um, <clears throat> it's it's necessary that we just stay in the scriptures. That's really a big thing we're going to do. So we're going to just we're going to be reading the word. But isn't it fascinating that you can begin in Genesis 1 and then peer over into the writings, the prophets, the New Testament, and they are adding insight and depths and descriptions to things that you don't get in Genesis 1, 2, 3. See what I mean? So I hope that we'll, we'll again begin to see how this library begins to work together because we know there is a there is a divine author that is like leading the deal right and so the spirit of god moving men to write these things so uh, genesis 1 1 i'm going to give you kind of where i'm heading tonight genesis 1 1 in the beginning how many of you uh, how many times have you read this because you started reading the Bible and you got through the book of Genesis. Maybe you got through Exodus and you hit Leviticus and quit. But we know Genesis 1-1 so many times, right? But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, so we're going to be looking at God tonight briefly. I'm not gonna, we're not going into great detail related to Him, which is really interesting. But there's a reason and you'll see why. Um, but we're going to be looking at God. We're going to be looking at the heavens and the earth. Now, Genesis 2, verse 1, we're going to pick up one other piece. So look at Genesis 2, 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and then we get this little added phrase, and all their hosts. And so we want to try and understand, we're going to look at God tonight in my teaching. We're going to look at God. We're going to look at the heavens. We're going to look at the earth. And then we're going to pick up the hosts. Okay, those are the four big portions that I'm assigned here tonight, and we'll see where this goes. Uh, I'm going to give you all a big word. Uh, this is not connected to makeup. Cosmology. <laughs> what, what, what is, uh, what's the word for makeup in, in that word? Cosmology. Yeah, so co cosmology. Okay, it, it, let me give you just a, a simpleton definition of cosmology. It is the, it's the origin, the nature, and the structure of the heavens and the earth. If you want me to get real big and technical, only because I read, not because I'm smart. <laughs> but the, there's a word called metaphysics, okay? And metaphysics is this. It's the sum total of reality, and we're going to take the sum total of reality and shrink it to the whiteboard tonight. We're going to try. And so, you know, if we could just kind of zoom it down, this will be our puzzle box. All right. And, and th this is going to be like the picture. And I'm going to be, begin working the picture tonight right out of the scriptures. And I hope that Holy Spirit will help us because there's a lot here. Uh, each of these four points are really session, our sessions within themselves, as you know. But uh, anyway, so 
Let's, let's just begin. We, we, we're wanting to see the sum total of reality. Like, how does it all work? And why is evolution bogus? You know, why are there like so many other scientific ideas, but they don't line up with the book, the library? And we're stating that the library is the truth that conveys reality, right? Okay, <clears throat> so let's get to Roman numeral two. God, all right, the uncreated being. Let me show you one thing that's really interesting. In chapter one, you get the word God, I don't know how many times, but like in the beginning, God. And you see God all the way through. It is the Hebrew word Elohim. Say that with me. Elohim. Elohim. But it's interesting, when you get to chapter 2, verse 4, you get more language and you understand, oh, he's the one that's actually doing Genesis 1. So look at it with me, Genesis 2, verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. And so we know the word Lord in capitals is Yahweh, God is Elohim, so we have Yahweh Elohim. That's going to be an incredibly important phrase as we go forward. And I won't even get to that here tonight. David will begin picking this up next week. But it's really important that you understand this distinction that there are other gods, okay, but that Yahweh is also God, but he's the uncreated being. All the other entities called Elohim, gods, we're going to pick up this teaching. They are, there are other gods, but they are created gods. Now, if, you, if that's new to you, it, it will floor you. It will mess with what you may know. But this is really important to grasping the Jewish narrative is to understand that there are other divine beings. Okay, created divine beings. So we're going to look at that. Um, let's begin here in Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created. How did he do that? So I, all I'm going to do is start reading the scriptures, okay? So uh, I don't know if you've got your Bible or if you're going to be on your phone. It doesn't matter. Psalm 33. A lot of times we list the passages in the, in the notes but uh, we were trying to save paper. <laughs> not, not really. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. But uh, I think it's better when you look in your book, right? When you look in your Bible itself. So Psalm 33, I'm just going to read verse 6. I'm just trusting you guys, are, 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 you got your sword drill here tonight and you get there quickly. By the, <clears throat> by the word of Yahweh... The heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap, and he lays up the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear Yahweh. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Verse 9, for he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. All we're drawing here is that Genesis 1-1 happened by the word of the Lord. Okay, let's get to Colossians 1. I know we'll, we'll be doing a lot of flipping here, but it's, it's, it's good and healthy for us. Colossians 1, verse 13 lets us know that it's Jesus, Messiah, 
that he delivered us from the domain of darkness in whom he, uh, verse 14, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of our sins. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 16, for by him, Messiah Jesus, all things were created, both in heavens and on earth. Visible and invisible. Now, I would ask you to maybe, if you write her in your Bible, to understand that invisible does not mean immaterial. Grasp that. Just because we don't see it doesn't mean that it, it's not, it doesn't have substance. Because what, I'm, what we're going to look at tonight is the things we don't see, divine beings and entities, God himself, the third heavens, God God is real. There's substance. There's sights and sounds, you know, in the heavens. And just because we don't see it with our eyes. So, uh, look at it again. I saw Sean back there getting ready to get that hand up. Let me, let me make the statement again. Both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Invisible doesn't mean immaterial. Okay? Just because we don't see it with our eye doesn't mean it's not there. Because when we get to looking at what's going on here, that like what's happening in the heights of the heavens right now, we, we live so much by sight that with many times we, we're not aware of actually what's real. And that which is invisible is material, and it's more real than we can even pinch ourselves, right? Okay, I, I know I'll, I'll get off into somewhere. Okay, Colossians 1, 16. By Jesus... He created the heavens, the earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things have been created by Jesus for him. And look at this. And he, Messiah Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The earth, we got a passage that hangs on nothing. It hangs there because Jesus has authority over it. You know, he has the power there. And so we want to fear him, right? We want to rightly see him. Let's continue on. Look at, um, look at Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1, verse 2. This is, again, this is just giving some more language to the fact that th this is background to Genesis 1-1, that we understand what was going He created the heavens and the earth. Well, how did he do that? By the power of of his spoken word. Jesus is the one who spoke these things and the Spirit of the Lord helped carry them out. Hebrews 1, 2, in these last days, God has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. One more, Hebrews 11, verse 3. Man, I love hearing them pages turn. Hebrews 11, 3, by faith, now here's this important, by faith, right, we understand that the worlds, the ion, the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. So just let that sit upon us. What we see came out of that which is not, was not, right? That's really important. Let's flip the page. I just thought it was important to, to grasp that Jesus is the one speaking. In other words, we're talking about in his pre-incarnate state. 
He's speaking the worlds. He's speaking the heavens and the earth into their existence. Okay, David, I don't know if as I'm talking, if you, you okay, cool. Um, if, if there are things. So let's go uh, page two. Let's pick up the heavens. Whew, it's going to get a little thick in here. Okay. Uh, let's just start reading. We're going to get to Genesis 1. Let's read through Genesis 1, verses 2 through 8. Um, I want to I suggest this, not suggest this, I want to I say this uh, clearly and emphatically, okay? We do not get to the earth. So he created the heavens and the earth, verses 2 through 8, heavens, verses 9 through 31, earth, okay? And so what we're getting ready to read are is heavenly language, not earthly. And it will mess with you because now we have to come to a conclusion that he's not talking about earthly waters, Atlantic Ocean, Old Man Kelsey's Creek, you know, Ernest T. Bass. Y'all know any of that? Okay, Genesis 1, verse 2. The earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. Now he's going to define what the deep is. The Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. So he's talking about deep waters. And I'm going to go ahead and make this clear, okay? We're talking about deep cosmic waters, okay? We're talking about at the beginning there were waters. This is a massive thing, but we're going we're gonna to walk through this and see. Again, this is a whole teaching within itself, but I hope to just move through it. Okay, verse, verse 3. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And this is not moon and stars. Because moon and stars are created down with the earth. Down, I think, was it day four maybe? Okay, so this is again, this is, we're still in day, we're, we're in day one here. Let there be light, verse 4, God saw that the light was good, and God separated light from darkness. Now, we're going to dip over in a moment. We're going to look at other passages that help us understand what, how the light and the darkness that he's speaking of here related to the heavens were actually separated. And you're going to see some passages that's going to help us with that, okay? Verse 5. God called the light day, the darkness night. There was evening, morning, one day, verse 6. God said, let there be an expanse. Now, when we read that, you, should, you know, we think expanse, we're getting ready to think about the earth, right? But the expanse is defined in the verse, okay? Let there be an expanse in the midst of these deep cosmic waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. Verse 7, God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. So, and it was so. Verse 8, and God called the expanse what? And there was evening, morning, a second day. Now, uh, does, does your scripture say heaven? Okay, you need to, if you're a writer in your Bible, put add an S. Okay. Every use of heaven in the Tanakh is over 400 times is always, always plural. That starts making you scratch your head a little bit, doesn't it? Why are the heavens plural? And so I hope that we're going we're gonna to move there and look at it a little bit. Heavens used over 400 times in the Tanakh, always plural. So now we're going to move to the cosmic waters, okay? Let's go to Proverbs 8. We'll look at a couple of, of passages 
that begin to give some sense of commentary on what's going on. And I'm going to stand up here in just a moment and I'm going to begin to, to look here, okay, uh, at the... So put your finger in Proverbs 8 and also put your finger in Job 26. Can you, if you can do that, of course you can, right? Uh, Proverbs, because we're going to flip back and forth and see the same thought here. Proverbs 8 and Job 26. This is again, this is such a, a, a massive subject, but what I want to present to you here is that the blue here are what we're going to call the deep cosmic waters, okay, in connection to the beginning related to the heavens. So Proverbs 8, we're not going to read the whole, I got a full path. Let's just go to verse 27. Proverbs 8, 27, when God established the heavens, I was there. Now, in the context, he's saying wisdom. Wisdom was there, okay? When, when he, Yahweh, inscribed a circle on the face of the deep. Now, look at my, look at my picture, okay? Look at my puzzle up here. Do you see the circle? God inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, the deep waters, Okay? Now, let's go back to Job, because this will help us add a little bit more. And again, guys, we're drawing right out of Genesis 1 here, okay? Job 26, verse 7. God stretches out the north over empty space, hangs the earth on nothing. <laughs> That's what I was quoting earlier. And he wraps, uh, he wraps up the waters in his clouds and the cloud does not burst. Um, verse 10. God, Yahweh, Elohim, He inscribed a circle on the surface of the waters, the deep cosmic waters, at the boundary of light and darkness. Okay? And so do you remember the language from Genesis 1? That there, God separated the light from the darkness. How did he do that? I don't really know <laughs> how this looks. But what we find here is that God inscribed a circle on the face of these deep cosmic waters. And inside the circle is what we would call the universe. Okay? We would call the universe. Now, again, that's just a, a, a term. And so the fact that the, there's, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's a circle inscribed upon the, it was set by God, all right? Now, what we want to see is this, and I'm not going to go to these passages, but Psalm 148 says that there are waters above the heavens. You can go to these notes. And there are also waters beneath the earth so that we have cosmic waters are surrounding what we know as the universe, okay? So everything, and we're going to begin looking at this now, everything in Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth. He created them inside of this, what we understand as this expanse. Everything's within it. And here's the other part, begin to really mess with you. We're going to look at it, Isaiah 40, that God sat down inside of his creation, 
You know, we talk about God exists outside of time and outside of... No, He sat down inside of His creation. Does that keep Him from being sovereign? No. But He sat down in what we would say the heights of the heavens. Okay, let's continue to read and just uh, begin continue to look at this for a moment. The stretched out heavens, look at Psalm 104. Psalm 104, verses 1 through 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Yahweh, my Elohim, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a cloak. Stretch, here it is. Stretching out heaven like a tent curtain. Now, this one really messes with your head. Verse 3, he lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters. So, here's what we're going to begin to add now. I'm going to give Browns, <laughs> okay. Somehow, the, the beams of the upper chambers of a temple in the height of the heavens that has a throne where God sits, the, those beams uh, they, they're over into the cosmic waters. Does that mess with you a little bit? I don't understand this, but I think it's helpful for us, again, metaphysics, we want to understand like the sum total of reality. Yep. So, <clears throat> all right, let's move on. Let's pick up this other passage, Isaiah 40. All we're doing is mixing and matching scriptures to put this, I think, in its right place, okay? Isaiah 40, verses 21 and 22. It is He, Yahweh, who sits above the vault of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who, Yahweh, stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. So God has stretched out the heavens and that light that stretched out, right? And at the boundary of light and darkness, these are the stretched out heavens and here they are. Now, um, let, let's begin to just ponder this for a little bit and think, okay? Is the universe endless? I, w I was thinking about this today. I'm not thought about this many times. But if we were to get in our rocket, and it's a supersonic rocket, right? And we were just ahead, let's just say we're headed north. I always thought that there's just endless space. I ask you a question according to what we're hearing here tonight. Is that true? No. At some point, it would be like getting on a big, uh, I think about Disney. You get at the top and you get on this big water ride and you come flying down and you plunge into At some point, if you were in a rocket and we could go out that far, I don't know how big that is. Do you trust NASA? I don't know what NASA knows and doesn't know. I want to make sure to judge NASA by the scriptures, Right. But would it be that if we got in a rocket that we would like at some point uh, like uh, fly into the cosmic waters? 
and hit this boundary, this inscribed circle. I know all of our heads are swimming a little bit. And this, this is, these, are, these are things that are deep, okay? And this is probably the place usually where we would pause and begin to get some, um, I see John William, <laughs> I see your heads, uh, I know, anyway, you, David, okay. <clears throat> so um, here's another question. A buddy of mine, a, buddy, a friend of David and I, he, he posed this to me one time a couple years ago, and I was like, what? Could it be, and this is, this is my question, but this is the idea. Could it be that, and I've got the question there, are the galaxies and all the reflections when you, when you just Google galaxies and you start seeing all these galaxies and lights show everywhere, could it be that a lot of the lights that are actually going on are the stars, the sun, and all of whatever's out there are actually reflecting off of the cosmic waters. Could that be? It's something to consider. That maybe what they're seeing is not what they're actually seeing through these, quote, Hubble telescopes. Something to think about. I, I, I'm not, you know. Anyway. The heavens are real. They're material. They are always talked about as above the earth where God's throne is his temple, his dwelling place. Now, the heavens that I just covered in just a small paragraph, I've got about seven pages of notes that will be sent over to you guys tomorrow, okay, onto the ARC website. So you can actually go passage by passage and work through this more because this, this takes time to work through it and to understand it, I know. But if you begin to grasp it and the scriptures begin to come alive related to this, it's helpful. It's really helpful. And you say, I, I was talking to Tina about this today. She said, why does it matter? <laughs> and the only reason it matters for me, as I understand, truth conveys reality. And if I have this paradigm, then I'm not uh, taken or deceived or deluded by what the science books say. I want the Word of God to be the foundation upon which I build my understanding of the heavens and the earth. That's, that's the big thing, okay? Now, I let uh, a good friend of ours uh, put this together in one of his books, um, and you can follow what I just covered uh, in this middle graph, okay? That, that may help you just to begin to see the progression there. And again, I think this is something that you take away for study, okay? So we started with God. Jesus spoke heavens into the existence, right? The heavens and the earth. We moved through the heavens a little bit. This is a little bit about what it looks like as you begin to work through Genesis uh, 1, 1 through 8. Now we're going, well, I don't know, man. I always feel like we need to pause and we need to have discussion. But if we do that, it will we'll get out. So let me, just, let me just continue. That's what we need to do. Paragraph 4, the earth. So... Um, we're going to come back to this in a moment because we're going to see more and I'm going to, I'll draw this up for now, okay? So, <laughs> it's kind of might that might be kind because heaven is always up but biblically, right? So here we got, in the, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Yeah. And all their hosts. So we're going to come back and try to look at what did the hosts look like. We're going to put them into the second heavens. Okay. So, by the way, 
and this is in the teaching that I'll send out to you guys, but the first heavens would be that which is observable to the naked eye because things like uh, thunder and snow and, and rain, stars, sun, those things are understood as the heavens. But I think those are the things that are, that are visible to the naked eye. The second heavens would be something about those hosts, spiritual entities. Okay, and we'll talk about that. The third heavens is always understood. Where do I have it at? The third heavens, oh, I didn't get there. Um, let's go, let, let's just, you don't need to look at this passage. Let me just quote it for a moment. Second, Second Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 4. If you remember, uh, the Apostle Paul says, I know a man 14 years ago who's called up into the third. the third heaven, okay? And he says, and he goes on to say, he calls it the paradise of God. Because we know, according to Revelation 22, that there well, 2 and 22, that there, uh, the, the third heavens is the dwelling place of God, right? And that there's, there's a paradise there as well. Remember Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you shall be with me in... Yeah, so there, there's something about even, uh, and we're going to look at this in a moment, there's even a gardens, so there, there's paradise in the heavens, but there's a temple, there's a throne, and I'd encourage you to look through all these notes that, that I'm going to send out tomorrow, because you'll see more understanding that there is a temple, and God sits on a throne in the heights of the heavens, and He rules with sovereignty over the nations. All right, so God created the heavens and the earth. Let's move to the earth and begin to just look at a couple of things um, that I think will be helpful. So, uh, y'all get another picture tonight. Exciting, huh? All righty, here we go. <laughs> Here's the problem. I'm not an artist. Bruh, at least 35. No, just kidding. Okay, uh, let's move to Roman numeral four, the earth. Trying to track here. I hope we'll get, we'll get through here. Um, here's, a, here's a piece that will just help you guys understand what, what, we're, what we're talking about here in terms of, um, like, in Genesis 1 through 3, you have no idea of what's actually there um, completely until you unfold other passages. So Ezekiel, and again, I, we don't need to, well, we could turn there. Look at Ezekiel, yeah. let's turn to Ezekiel 28. And here's one of the, here's one of the big pieces to understand is that there are other places in the scriptures, again, that give commentary on what's actually going on back in Genesis 1, 2, 3. And if we don't get, if we don't see like Ezekiel 28, then we won't have a full picture. That's it. Okay, so Ezekiel 28. Let's just, uh, let's start in verse 12. Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre. There's a lot of historical background here. Thus, the, thus says the Lord God, you had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. Ezekiel 28, verse 13. You were in Eden. Look at my board for a moment. Okay, so we pick up Eden. This is the region. What we're, what we're going back to now is Genesis 1 through 3, and we're beginning to pick up the earth a little bit. We're not going into all the details, but I want us just to see that there's Eden. Verse 13, you were in Eden, the garden of God. And there's all these precious stones, etc. Verse 14, you are the anointed cherub who covers 
and I placed you there, you were on the, the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. Verse, verse 16, he, he says it again, from the mountain of God. All right, so we begin to understand that when you read Genesis 1 through 3, you must put Ezekiel 28 together so that you understand that there's the holy mountain of God in the, re- the original region that God designed, okay, it's called, it's the, it's the region of Eden. So we have the holy mountain of God. Um, we also find out from Ezekiel that there's, a, or, and saw, uh, Genesis 2, that there's a river. This is an interesting thing to me because when you start seeing patterns in the scriptures, it really, it really helps to understand. Uh, let, me, let me not go to the river yet. Let's look, let's look at the notes. The holy mountain of God in Eden, we just picked that up from Ezekiel 28. Um, and so one of the things that, that I wanted to bring to our attention here, you know, we, we talk about this and it's, it's just kind of what you believe over the years. Do you remember when God came down in Genesis 3? And it says he came walking in the garden. Most of the time, I believe we interpret that as Yahweh is coming to take the daily walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, right? I don't believe that's what's going on because uh, men biblically always approach Yahweh. You remember like Psalm 24, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Yahweh is here. Yahweh is, of course, in the heights of the heavens, but he would come here to the holy mountain. And this would be a place where Adam and Eve would have come to fellowship with God. You would come up, always come up to a deity, to a divinity, right? And so they're coming up to meet with Yahweh, the holy mountain of God. They would go back. Why is God coming in the garden? Is it for fellowship? They're hiding. If it's for fellowship, why would they be hiding? Because Yahweh is coming to make good on his word that if you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. He's coming to pronounce judgment. That's a serious matter. I want you to just frame that to consider that's what's going on. And then we have, of course, this river that's flowing through the garden. And once it gets through the garden in Genesis 2, it becomes four rivers, the Tigris, the Euphrates, and I don't remember the other two. Okay, that's, and so this river from the holy mountain is watering the garden. This is interesting when you get to passages like Revelation 22, you see this picture again. Right? So as you move toward the end. Also, think about this. And and this might just be a passage for you to read in your quiet time. Okay, Ezekiel 47. That when Jesus comes again in Jerusalem and he's sitting on his throne, it says that a river will flow from the throne, from the temple in Jerusalem, and it will go out to two areas. And everywhere it goes, there will be fruit on those trees that will sustain life. Really interesting. So that we see that this is what's going on. This river would have been connected to the tree of life, right? But they're not, again, to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So I just wanted to draw that to your attention to consider looking at, okay? Let's look at the third point under the earth. Adam, Genesis 1, 26 and 28. Adam was to, 
His primary assignment. Now, Dave and Mike can pick this up next week. I don't know because I don't. I, I'm not going to go there tonight. But um, Genesis 1:26 it says, "Then Yah uh, Elohim said, Let us make man in our image.'" And I, I, I don't I, because of time. I don't want to go there tonight because it, it will open up more. Um, and David, I don't know if maybe you want to hit that next week, okay? But Adam was to rule with delegated authority over the earth. As well, his role was to serve and guard with delegated stewardship over the garden. This is an interesting thing. Genesis 1, 26, 28, God says, let us, I think he's speaking to the divine, he's speaking to the other his, what we're going to look at in just a moment, his divine counsel, God speaking to. Let us make men in our image. What is that? We say, well, we have, we have a soul. You know, we have emotions. That's not the issue. The issue here is when you're made in God's image in the context, it's, it's, it's that God gave divine entities. We're going to look at this in a moment. God gave these gods, sons of Elohim. He gave them a delegated authority to rule the heavens, and he's given man delegated authority to rule the earth. God will give you an assignment to and delegate authority to you to rule the earth, and then he'll take you and put you in a small place to begin working it out. This is a word from God. I'm telling you, this is this is something for us to consider. All right, let's 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 talk about that for a moment. You have authority, Adam, to rule the entire globe, that my glory, my glory will be manifest in the nations of the earth. But God will put him in a garden to begin to steward the garden, because here's a principle. God will take you and put you in something small and then move you to something larger, right? Always. And I'm thinking about this. Uh, my future mother-in-law and father-in-law, Sean and Lori, back here, uh, our son and daughter, our son and their daughter, they're looking now at September 13th. They've moved it up. I'm like, go, boy. Anyway, so this is this is an interesting thing. But I was thinking about my son Eli, okay? Eli needs to learn how to steward sonship, right? Be a good son. Mary Grace, be a good daughter, right? Because growing up in a home, God is training us in the smallness of a home to steward being a son and a daughter. So that you're ready to, as a husband, steward a wife. And as a wife, steward marriage, right? And then, and only then, hopefully, <laughs> he then gives us that golden privilege, David and Kirsten will pray. He gives you that golden privilege to now steward children as a father and a mother. You see, God moves from something small to something greater. It's his way. And guess what? Adam failed the test. And so David's going to come back next week, and we're going to be begin to pick up Genesis 3, Genesis 6, Genesis 11. We're going to begin to see three divine and human rebellions that are going on over a span of 2,000 years that necessitates the Jewish narrative with one man, Abraham. This is what's going on. So again, it's, going to, it's just little by little, it's going to start unfolding. And it's just, it's a glorious, glorious story when we see it. Did that, I hope that made sense that, you know, what's going on with Adam. Okay, let's move to Roman numeral 5, and um, this is a, 
about a three-hour teaching, but um, there's a lot here. Um, we're, we're about 15 minutes out, and I'm, I'm at a good place, man. I can't believe we've gotten this far, but I think if you just stick to your notes, you're good, right? So let's move and begin looking at uh, the host of heaven, okay? So remember, we talked about four portions, Genesis 1-1, 2-1. That God created the heavens and the earth, and then he says, and the heavens and the earth were completed with all their host. I was speaking with David and a good dear friend of our Yanuts out of Romania recently about this host. What, what's going on there? David, you have anything you want to give any any quick back uh, backstory to that? Out of, out of chapter two. Yeah, two and one, just the issue of host. Yeah, it just, it, I mean, I think that he's. It's a summary statement, but included in the the realm of the heavens is the host being connected to what David's going to go into is these are divine beings. And a lot of times in the Bible, when you when you read hosts uh, in other places, uh, when it's translated, like we even see the the term um, like Yahweh of hosts, God. Yahweh of hosts is is like the more literal rending, rendering of his uh, Yahweh of armies. He's the, he is the God of the armies. And so uh, that was understood as these other beings that were part of his army. And so um, this, this is a summary statement of the heavens and all the beings that were made in the heavens. Um, so, Thank yeah. you, bro. Yes, that's it. So... The heavens, so when you think about creation, don't just think about Genesis 1-1. Put together Genesis 2-1. So it's not just heavens and the earth, but now we have these hosts. And that's what we want to begin to poke out for the, the, the last 15 minutes. Um, <clears throat> let's first start with just looking at this word host in other passages. Okay, so let's go to 1 Kings 22. I just uh, we're just going to draw out a few uh, passages that may be helpful in defining what this looks like. That we're not talking about host. Uh, we're not talking about like stars, those kinds of things. I think specifically he's talking about other what we would call created divine beings. Okay, and we're going to try to define those a little bit. And where do where do demons fit inside of that? We'll get there next week, maybe, or, or two weeks from now, okay? It's really interesting when you begin to see where the, the origin of demons, okay? 1 Kings twenty two nineteen, Is that right? Yeah. Micaiah, I reckon I'm saying that right. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord. I saw Yahweh sitting on his throne. Now, he's not talking about, you know, he's not talking about Jerusalem, right? We're talking about, I saw, so we're talking about a prophet. I saw Yahweh sitting on his throne and all of the host of heaven standing by him on his right and on his left. So now these hosts are standing, right? <clears throat> Let's get to Nehemiah 9. Go, go forward just a couple books. Nehemiah 9, verse 6. You alone are Yahweh. You made the heavens, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is uh, that is on it, 
the seas and all that is in them, and you give life to all of them. And look at this, and the heavenly host bows down before you. So not only do the host stand, they bow down. Because again, we're talking about created divine beings, but they understand who Yahweh is, that he's the creator of the heavens and the earth and of them themselves. Make sense? Okay. Uh, here's, here's another great uh, passage. Look at Psalm 148. This just helps uh, place it in, in a, a context alongside of angels. So I think you see distinction here. Psalm 148, praise Yahweh, praise Yahweh from the heavens, praise him in the heights. Hey, when you read that and you look on my, my picture up here tonight, does that help a little bit more, you know? Yeah, he's in the heights of the heavens, right? Praise Yahweh in the heights. Verse 2, praise him all his angels, praise him all his host. Praise Him, sun, moon, stars. Praise Him, highest heavens, and the waters that are above the heavens. You see that? This is, this is that context I was speaking of earlier. Um, do you guys remember uh, Luke 2.13? I mean, again, I'm just, I'm just flowing forward. We can look at many other passages. But look at Luke 2.13 just for a moment. Remember Jesus is born? Today in the city of David, man, it feels like Christmas in here, don't it? <laughs> Luke 2, 11, for today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior who's Christ the Lord. Verse 13, and suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased or with, it, with whom uh, he is pleased. So that just helps you just to see some passages to speak of host. All right. So now <clears throat> let's look uh, at, your, at your notes, paragraph five again, or Roman numeral five. I think inclusive in terms of the host, we have to add what we would call divine beings. Cre keep in mind, created divine beings. So angels, Go to, um, go to Genesis 3 for just a moment. Do you remember Adam's assignment was to serve and guard the garden? Why? Because if he didn't, it was sacred space. That whole region of Eden would have been sacred space. It would have been uh, a place where they're there, Adam and Eve, but they are to serve and guard that garden and not let any kind of adversary or usurper in that would profane anything related to the holy mountain of God. That's what's happening. And so when Adam failed in his responsibility, look at Genesis 3, verse 24. So he drove Adam out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the the cherubim, and the flaming sword which turn every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So now we have angels, cherubim. When you get to uh, like Isaiah 6, you pick up seraphim who have like six wings. <laughs> what? You get to Revelation 4 and you get to four living creatures. And they're, they're flying around the throne of God in heaven, right? So that's like, whoa. Now we, now we approach one other of what we would say created divine beings, 
And this is the place where it became very hard for me five years ago. But through dialogue, through talk, through study, uh, little by little, this revelation started to grow. And this can be understood if you want to get a book. Uh, don't take it all the way to its end in the New Testament. But I would encourage you, uh, a guy named Michael Heiser, the book is called Unseen Realm. Okay, and you can get really some great insight into what I'm going to talk about right now in our last few minutes. Let's pick it up. Um, there are other gods. Does that mess with you? When I first started hearing it, it messed with me so much. So get to Exodus 20. There are other gods. And if you read the Tanakh or just Torah, you see it everywhere. And we relegated them to a little idol or something. I don't know. But like, look at Exodus 20, verse 1. I am Yahweh, your Elohim, Israel, right? And I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Here it is. Commandment number 1, Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other which is the word Elohim, which is plural. You're to have no other gods before me. So are there other gods? And I could go, I'm telling you guys, we could go hundreds and hundreds of passages and see this. Um, let's, let's look at another one that might just be helpful. Look at Deuteronomy 10, verse 17. Deuteronomy 10, 17. For, the, for Yahweh, your Elohim, Israel... Yahweh, your Elohim, is the God of gods and the Lord of the great and the mighty, the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. That's really, really interesting, huh? Oh, my. Now we're getting to, uh, again, we're getting now to the three-hour teaching and the whole books that have been written on the subject. And it, it, so... Like, God help us. So, let, let, all right, let's just go there. Job, we'll just stay with the passages. I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way to say it differently. Look at Job 38. This is like, whoa, because now we begin to see that these divine beings were actually present at creation, okay? Look at Job 38, verse 4. Where, Job, you know, Job's having this, and, and God's like confronting Job, right? And he says, uh, I can see God just almost, Yahweh's like scratching his head. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who, who set its measurements since you know? Who stretched the line on it? Verse 7, look at this. When the morning stars, and I think this will be clear connected to angels. When the morning stars sang together and all the... Sons of God, sons of Elohim shouted for joy. So we're talking about now, uh, uh, mm, let me stay with the notes, okay, because I'll get, I'll get, all, yeah, um, look at, let, let me just read this, Ephesians 3.15, Ephesians 3.14 and 15, I was pondering this uh, months ago and it just dawned on me. It says, uh, Paul's in a prayer and he says, uh, he says, God, and then he says, uh, uh, our Father from whom every family, listen to this, every family in heaven and on earth derive their name, sons. And so God has sons, divine beings, and he has sons, 
human beings. Okay? And, and I know this, this may be getting to, to dawn on you a little bit. I think, I think the next couple of weeks is going to really just fine-tune this. The articulation of it is going to become even clearer. But I would strongly suggest, again, work back through some of these notes. Have you ever been reading Philippians 2? And it says, talking about Jesus, says, uh, And every knee shall bow in on earth and this is Isaiah 24. This is, this is Psalm 82. That even the sons of Elohim, divine beings, other gods, are going to die like mere men at the day of the Lord. He will deal with them the way they dealt with the nations. Okay. All right. So that's just an interesting passage. Now, let's move and begin talking a little bit. And this will be our last point tonight. The divine counsel. So give me, uh, give me these last... Oh, God, I got two minutes. Let me just read these passages. Job, uh, Job 1 6. Job 1 6 and Job 2 1. Now, there was a day when the sons of God. How do, we, how do we interpret that? There's a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before Yahweh, and Satan was among them. Same context in Job chapter 2, verse 1. And so what we begin to find, especially when you get to Psalm, uh, I'll, I'll just close with this passage because of time. Look at Psalm 82. This is what we would consider the primary passage alongside of Psalm 89. But this would be the primary passage. Now I want to tell you something crazy, okay? This Psalm 82, Jesus quotes it in John 10. So Jesus had full awareness that there were other gods but that he is like the son. You know what I mean? This is the idea. He is the, the uh, son of God. And there's, a, there's some background context. And I'm going to really probably encourage David to come back and maybe piggyback. No, this will be some of the follow-up material in our podcast on Wednesday. Good. Psalm 82. Let's just read Psalm 82, and then we'll close. Because uh, I got like one minute, and I want to be faithful to our time. Psalm 82. Elohim, this will be speaking of Yahweh for sure, and you'll see why. Elohim, Yahweh, takes his stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the, okay, my, my New American Standard says rulers, but it's heavenly, what did you say? Yeah, it's, it's Elohim, okay? And, and what's happening here is God is pronouncing, Yahweh is pronouncing judgment against these other sons of God, these other gods, these other Elohim. Watch what happens. Verse 2, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? See, and, and, and again, David's going to pick up this teaching that God is going to give the nations over to these Elohim and these Elohim over to the nations, but he's going to choose one man, Abraham, out of all humanity, and God's going to begin to bind his name as the God of Israel to this one man and that nation. Okay? And it's his way, not our way. And so this is an interesting, this is some background, okay? So th because these gods, this is a judgment against these gods. He says, you've judged unjustly, you've shown partiality to the wicked. Some of this language you would understand it as Paul in Ephesians 6, 12. You remember? 
when he starts talking about thrones and dominions, and he talks about spiritual authorities and high place. He's talking about these ranks, you know. So get down to verse 6. Psalm 82, 6. I said, this is Yahweh, you are God's. And all of you are sons of the Most High. Nevertheless, you will die like mere men and fall like one of the princes. And then the end of the psalm says, Arise, Elohim, judge the earth, for it is you who possess all the nations. So God will judge and cleanse the heavens and the earth at the day of the Lord. And we'll, we'll move into more of that as we go forward, okay? Oh, my goodness. I wish I'd have got, I wanted to get more here but uh, again, we'll put some resources out this week that are going to begin to help this. And I just wanted to introduce it. Now we'll let the scholar come back and unfold it next week. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Things that are uh, much bigger than us. Ideas and concepts and truths that we don't even see rightly and clearly. We ask you to continue, Father, to give us clear, concise, and, and um, Lord, articulate understanding into things we've heard here tonight. We ask, God, that this, these, this backstory, these, these passages that we've been working through, that it would help us, God, in framing Genesis 1 through 11 so that we would rightly understand what's going on as you introduce Abraham in Genesis 12. Lord, we ask that as we continue to go through various resources and notes, as we work through podcasts this week, as we just read Torah, that God, you will continue to open our eyes to see these things more clearly in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.